Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Bridge the Gap, Connecting Business Perspectives with your hosts, myself, Colton Cockrell, and Tricia Stetzel. Our goal is to bridge the generational, gender, and life experience gap in business through our unique styles of gathering information from our guests. Now let's get it started. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Bridge the Gap. We got a great guest with us today, but before we introduce him, I better introduce myself. My name is Colton Cockrell. I am a certified financial fiduciary and independent financial advisor with Share McKinley Group, and my co-host would kill me if I also didn't introduce her first. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the woman of the hour, Ms. Tricia Stetzel. Thank you, Colton. Trisha Stetzel, Results Extreme Business Solutions. And Colton, you know, you keep jumping further and further every week. You, it's like you want to skip us all together and just let our guests talk. Well, I'm excited about having, <laughs> well, I don't want to give away who it is, but I'm excited to have him on today. So if you don't mind introducing him. I would love to do that. So uh, a gentleman that I met a really long time ago through a mutual friend that Colton and I have. So I'm so excited to have him on the show today to talk to us about the industry that he's in. Mr. Scott Dayton has been a licensed to practice law or has been licensed to practice law in the state of Texas since 98. Before he founded the Dayton Law Firm in 2013, he was an attorney at one of the largest and most respected law firms in the world. There, he handled complex products, liability, and commercial lawsuits for Fortune 500 clients. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I wish everyone could see uh, where you're at right now. You're in some like majestic library. I'm just going to assume that's a a Zoom background. Uh, But let's go ahead and jump into questions, Scott. Uh, First, I I think just because your expertise is in litigation, I think it's um, um, appropriate for us to first define litigation and Mediation. Thank you. Mediation, the other word. Litigation versus mediation. Kind of walk me through that. Very different, but related animals. Litigation is what you see on TV, okay? When people are in the courtroom fighting with each other, uh, that is uh, litigation. Generally, litigation refers to it in the civil context. So our law in the United States is, you can sort of divide it into two areas, really broad areas. You've got criminal and civil. Okay, the criminal stuff is like O.J. Simpson, uh, you know, Atticus Finch, those kind of things. Right. And the civil side is kind of everything else. It's where people are having disagreements with other people. And those people could be corporations having disagreements with corporations. It could be family law. It could be uh, any number of things. Even probate would fall into the realm of civil law. When you're talking about civil litigation, you're talking about a dispute between two people or entities that somebody is asking a court to resolve, okay? So that's where, you know, you get the black robe and the 12 jurors back there and all the cool stuff that happens on TV, but rarely in real life. Uh, mediation is a different animal, completely different. Uh, in, in litigation, the end result is trial by jury usually, sometimes trial by the bench, which means just the judge is both the judge and the jury. So that's the fact finder and the person who decides the law. Um, Mediation is related to litigation in the sense that almost every single case that is filed in court, the court rule will require the parties to go to what is called mediation. Mediation is kind of like when you were a kid and you went, you were in school and the teacher tried to resolve your dispute for you. Okay. Without having to go to the principal. Uh, This is where usually there's a third party involved. Usually they're an attorney that has a lot of experience under their belt 
And they try to get you guys to agree on an outcome without having to go through the time and expense of going through litigation because litigation going to trial is a very expensive endeavor and it's not pleasant for anyone. Okay. Uh, super expensive and you have no control over the outcome in litigation. You, you know what the jury and the judge do, that's what they do. And you're stuck with it unless you go through the next process, which would be the appellate level. That's uh, a separate discussion, but in mediation, you have a chance to have, some control over the outcome of your case. So generally you'll go to mediation, there'll be this impartial uh, third party there, usually an attorney, often a retired judge. And uh, here's how it looks, here's what mediation looks like. You show up with your guys, the other side shows up with their guys, you're each in your own room, okay? And the mediator's this dude or lady that pops between the two rooms, listens to how bad the other side has been, goes back to the other side, tells them how bad they the other side thinks they've been. Then here you ha- they hear how that side thinks the other side's been so bad. And then throughout the course of usually a mediation is either a half day or a full day. Sometimes they go on for multiple days or even, you know, several times over the course of several weeks. And they try to reach a resolution. The, the, uh, the third party mediator, you know, will point out weaknesses in cases and kind of play the bad cop sometimes. Sometimes they play the good cop. But they're trying, their goal is to try to not advocate for either party because that's what you've got your pit bull attorneys there for. The attorneys are there to go rah, rah, my case is awesome. The mediator's there to poke holes in it and say, listen, you go to trial, A, you're going to spend a ton of money and B, you don't have a control of the outcome. Here, you, you, know, you might not get everything you're asking for, but you're not going to get nothing. Can y'all see why we love Scott? (laughs) You give these real life examples. I see in my picturing in my head, this mediator that's running up and down the hall, right? They must all be in great shape. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) They go, they bounce around rooms quite a bit. So, and then anyway, go ahead. No, it's okay. I, this is a really great discussion. So I'm curious about, uh, because of the way 2020 has gone and even the beginning of 2021, where we've all gone to a virtual setting, what does that look like when it comes to litigation and mediation? Did you, were you around when uh, Hurricane uh, Katrina evacuation occurred? <laughs> that sounds uh, awful, Scott. <laughs> I'm already picturing. <laughs> okay, and then and then we had the follow up Hurricane Rita, and we and you spent about I, I personally spent 26 and a half hours on the road between uh, Friendswood and just to get to Columbus, Texas. That's just a little over 100 miles, folks. That's the kind of backlog you're looking at in the courts because the courts came to a grinding halt when social distancing came into effect. I mean, the courts are heavily burdened as it is. They've got a lot to do. And at the state court level, they don't have as much help to get their job done. Federal judges have all kinds of clerks and things to help them with, right? But your average person doesn't have a federal claim. In the state court, it's the judge that does just about everything, and they are heavily burdened. And when you start uh, stacking up cases because they can't do anything, they're frozen, they can't go forward because of the social distancing, there's a huge backlog. Now, the courts have done a magnificent job of adapting. Okay, it took some time and we had to pivot a little bit, but there have been some, you know, the, the first Zoom trial was conducted a while back. I sat out in on a um, continuing legal education seminar about that uh, from an experienced, uh, very salty 
uh, trial attorney to hear about that. And that's quite a production. I mean, attorneys are used to doing their work in a courtroom, not used to uh, performing on TV, so to speak. And it requires a whole technical team there, right? So if you're going to, and the case he had tried was a complex high dollar commercial case, okay? And so they could afford to bring in the videographers, the, the trial graphics teams and things like that and have 16 war rooms outside and be zooming all over the planet. Uh, your average person can't afford that. Okay, Your average company cannot afford that. But the neat thing is, is that courts have learned to embrace technology, They've been forced to embrace technology. And I think in the future, it's going to greatly benefit uh, the consumers of legal services because so many things that were done just because that's the way they were always done in person in front of a judge uh, are going to be more efficiently handled. Just taking the the uh, an example of the divorce. Typically, when you settle the divorce case, you have to go to court and do what's called proving it up. Okay. And it's a standard list of questions. The answers are always the same. And it's, it's just almost a, uh, just, it's, it's a ministerial task by the court, but nevertheless, you had to appear before the court to actually do that, which means you had to take the time out of your day, take a day off from work. You had to take your attorney down there who's billing you the whole time uh, on the way up there and on the way back. Okay. Uh, and now you could just do that, submit that testimony by affidavit. And that is super efficient. So things like that's a good example of how, and I hope that sticks around after, you know, our current pandemic is over, uh, because I think that say makes a lot of sense for some of the smaller litigants and uh, just doesn't make sense to keep doing it the old way. So the courts have been learning, they've been embracing, particularly some courts have been embracing technology, embracing Zoom, uh, who hasn't seen the infamous a video of the lawyer who appeared for a hearing a couple of weeks ago and somebody, I guess he was on his little girl's computer and she had installed a cat filter on it. So this lawyer was appearing before the court as a cat. And uh, he actually said to the court, it was beautiful. He goes, your honor, uh, I'm prepared to proceed. I am not a cat. And <laughs> I thought that was magnificent. And <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, we're all learning, right? There's always a learning curve. Somebody's always going to, you know, stay up and not have pants on or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's the courts have done a great job because the legal profession is really probably the, what I call the stiffest profession, right? We stick to traditions. We stick to the way we've done it. We, we, you know, we've got a time honored, you know, traditions and by golly, that's the way we're going to do it. And we're loath to change it. And that is no longer the case, man. We've been forced to change and embrace technology. I think the profession overall is going to benefit from it. But nevertheless, the case backlog that I referenced at the beginning of my soliloquy here uh, does exist. And, uh, you know, I've had cases pushed back that I don't even have a trial date for yet. So that's that's just a fact of life. And mediation factors into that because that's a way of resolving your case without waiting for that long off court date. See, here's the deal. And that, that's why we had Scott on here, because I, I think we've just asked two questions and we've already spent about 10 minutes on this, uh, this podcast because he's so elaborate when he's speaking and he's, you're so well-spoken that I'm just like listening, like, man, okay. You like answered like five questions. I already wanted to ask you. So, um, well, Col but, Colton, don't, don't forget I'm building you by the hour. Too. Oh, you're right. Dang it. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, <laughs> hey, so, uh, I real quickly, I have to ask, did, wh what is your take on, uh, on the attorney? or not the attorney on the um uh the surgeon who zoomed from his surgery in the actual room with blood on his hands and everything and do, do you know what i'm talking about 
I'm familiar with a dentist who is doing something similar with that, but I'm not, I can't comment on that one because I don't know the details. Uh, but I, I'm going to say that it's probably not a good idea to be zooming and have blood on your hands at the same time, unless you're consulting with another physician somewhere who uh, can fix your current problem. So, And you'd think, have a good attorney. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, so let, me, let me ask you a more serious question then. Uh, and a lot of people probably think this because uh, everyone thinks they can do anything now. So should everyone, if there's ever a situation where, you know, they're, they're being sued or if something happens, should they hire an attorney for their case? Yes. I about to say this should be a softball. Yeah, that was, that was, I'm just trying to think why you asked that. The, uh, the, <laughs> to be honest, yeah, I mean, you are, I mean, putting aside small claims court, okay? Small claims court is designed it's, you know, in my generation, it was the people's court. Now it's Judge Judy. Uh, that's what small claims court is, okay? Small claims court is designed to avoid the expense of attorneys in, in lower dollar value cases. And interestingly, we just recently, last September, the jurisdictional limits of small claims court uh, were raised from just $10,000 to now $20,000, okay? So that makes small claims court an option for a much broader category and uh, number of cases, right? And you can do that by representing yourself. So you, appearing in a normal court, like uh, uh, as a corporation, for example, can defend themselves in small claims court. But a corporation cannot defend themselves or prosecute a case in district court because that is the unlicensed practice of law. Because you represent an individual, whoever the owner or whatever, uh, is going in there and arguing on behalf of the corporation. So you're arguing on behalf of another person and you're not a lawyer. So in small claims court, that rule does not prevent you from doing that. So you should always think, okay, maybe small claims court. But let me tell you a little secret, okay? This is a secret. Uh, a good way, if you've got a problem with someone, okay, um, don't go to Facebook and start crashing them. Don't go to Yelp. Don't go whatever. Here's if somebody owes you money, if somebody has done you wrong, try to do it without pulling out the big lawyer stick first. I, I always suggest the first thing someone should do, whether you're a business or an individual, is sit down with a cool head, a business head. OK, not an angry mob head. Sit down with a cool head and write a professional business like letter stating what's wrong and what you're asking them to do. And then take your rear end down to the post office and send it certified mail return receipt requested. Okay, that has two effects. One, it's pretty official. People tend to take something they receive in via certified mail pretty, pretty seriously because you could be served with a lawsuit by certified mail. Okay, uh, two, it give it, it, it outlines your case and uh, you know it, it forces you to send a uh, a, a message that is comprehensible and you have to advocate for your case in a clear way. And people tend to take those seriously and get a little, little frightened when they get certified mail letters. Okay. The second thing it does is in many cases, it will enable you, if you give that proper notice, for example, a breach of contract case against a company, a corporation, it will give you, but if you give 30 days notice, it gives you the potential of recovering your attorney's fees. Okay. So it has multiple benefits. And so that's, that's usually, and that's, if you're familiar with law enforcement, they had, they operate and I have kind of a law enforcement mindset, you know, and um, they, they operate on something called the ladder of force. Okay. If somebody is disobeying a traffic law, you don't call a SWAT team, 
right? You, you pull them over and you give them a ticket, okay? If somebody is stumbling around drunk, you don't pull your Glock and pump 15 rounds at them. You, you know, restrain them in handcuffs, right? And then you, it goes up from there. And at a certain point, you do have to pull that Glock. But the same kind of thing should hold true and should go through your mind when you've got a problem. Okay, what, how should I escalate this? Do I immediately go nuclear and call my lawyer? Or do I send a very business-like letter and try to get it resolved like adults? Because that's the cheapest and the best way to resolve it, okay? Once you get lawyers involved, uh, it gets kind of pricey pretty expen- uh, pretty quickly. Hey, Colton, do you need to understand what an envelope and a stamp and a post office are? <laughs> so, I, I listen, I understand that you may be um, very prehistoric, but I understand <laughs> what all of that is. Uh, thank you. Seasoned. And despite despite the technological evolutions, believe it or not, uh, certified mail is still the gold standard of giving people notice on things. And it's just required by many statutes, required by many contracts. Okay, always, if it's a contracted issue and you're required to give notice in a particular way, you need to review the terms of the contract and always give notice in that manner. But generally speaking, certified mail return receipt requested is the gold standard. Well, the reason why I asked you that question, uh, and again, I think you answered another three questions in that one question. I came across this quote a few days ago. Um, It says, the man who represents himself has a fool for an attorney. And that's why I wanted to ask you that question. I'm sure you can appreciate that. That's absolutely true. You know, unless you happen to also just be a genius and pick up things like the law easily. Uh, I did not pick it up easily. I had to work my rear end off for it, but small claims, small claims court, certainly you can represent yourself. That's what it's designed for. Uh, if you're going to go to what I call adults court, yeah, you're, you're going to get your rear end kicked pretty quick uh, by an attorney because they're just procedural things you don't know how to respond to. And unless you've been trained in it, you're operating under a set of rules you don't know. If you don't know the rules, you're toast. I love it. No, and that's, and it is scary. And that's why it always is important, like you said, to consult an attorney, but I love how you're not the guy to say that you always need an attorney. You're actually giving great um, uh, examples for people to actually bypass getting an attorney if it's not a big deal or is not a large monetary um, situation. So fantastic. I, I do. I talk myself out of a lot of business. Uh, I really do. Because, uh, you know, when you pay that big legal fee at the end of the day, let me tell you, no case is going to trial no real case is going to trial for less than six figures. Okay. And uh, that's just fact of the matter. Even a a child custody dispute, if you're going to really prep a case and if I prep a case, I prep a case. Okay. I prepare for war from day one. Uh, You know, there's a Latinism that I cannot pronounce, but it is uh, if you want peace, you prepare for war and you've got to prepare for war in litigation from day one or you're planning for disaster, never plan for settling a case. Uh, That said, I do have candid conversations with people who approach me with potential. People see the, 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 the billboards with Jim Adler and his giant hammer and the pit bulls on some signs, and they're all kind of frothing at the mouth. Let's sue, let's sue, let's sue. There's two flavors of two ways basically attorneys make money. One is on what's called a contingency fee basis. And that's what Jim Adler is. Okay. And Jim's, you know, fine attorney does his job well, but he, he gets his money by suing. Why is Jim Adler standing on a top of an 18 wheeler instead of a 1993 Honda Civic? Okay. And that's because that 18 wheelers probably got a pretty good chunk of insurance behind him. When he sues somebody, he's not just going to get a piece of paper. He's going to have some, some way to recover that money. 
if you if you get into the same serious uh, serious accident with that 1993 Honda Civic, that person may have many minimum coverage or no coverage. And you may have a judgment that says the driver of that Honda Civic owes you $6 billion, but how much of that do you think you will ever see? The answer is zero, okay? Um, so you have to have pretty candid conversations with folks. Uh, that's how, that's how the, the contingency fee works. The rest of the legal world, like myself, uh, operates on the billable hour model, okay? I personally bill in tenths of an hour, which means every six minutes you, you pay a tenth of my fee. So for six minutes, you pay 30 bucks. My hourly rate's 300 bucks currently. And uh, you know, that adds up really fast. It really, really does. And it's not like when you pay that legal bill, it's not like driving off the car lot and you have a nice new Mercedes. Uh, all you got is a paid legal bill, right? And you have an uncertain outcome. Uh, you know, you can, no attorney, no attorney can guarantee an outcome in a case, right? You can lay odds on things, but it's kind of like Vegas. You, you never know how it's going to come out. Trial, that, and that's, that goes back to mediation. You have some control of your outcome, right? But uh, so I always have that discussion with folks. Listen, you're getting ready to pay a lot of money. Do you really want to prosecute this case? Because this is how much money you're looking at, and you may not get what you want at the end of the day, even after paying all that money. So, and the, the, the converse holds true as well. If you're a defendant being sued and somebody's asking you for money, it, there, there's a concept out there called a nuisance value settlement or cost of defense settlement. If I've got a claim and somebody sued me for $10,000 and my attorney's going to charge me, I'm using, I'm just picking numbers out of the air, guys. My attorney's going to charge me half a million dollars to uh, try it with an uncertain outcome, which, which makes business sense. Yeah, uh, either the $10,000 is paying the 10 grand and you're done. There's a case yeah. closed. So you've always got to have that analysis done at the beginning of a case when you're talking to folks because they're usually coming into your office pretty emotional, frothing at the mouth, ready to go to war. And you have to sort of talk them off the ledge and tell them about some of the realities so that they make uh, wise decisions with their eyes wide open. And litigation is is, is what I do. It's, it's a large part of what I do. So that's how I earn my living. But nevertheless, I want people to go into that decision fully appreciating what it is. See, Trisha, I told you there's still ethical attorneys out there. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm also, I'm also an Aggie, so I'm bound by the Aggie. <laughs> well, I think there goes half of our listeners. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, so, Trisha, at this time, you're going to get a random off-the-wall question, Scott. So I know you probably weren't prepared for this, but Trisha's going to lay it on you. She's going to grill you. You better get ready. You were me? doing it. Yep. You're going to let me do it this week? Okay. Um, I'm thinking. All right, Scott. Would you rather jump out of an airplane or bungee jump with a parachute? I've done yeah, both. with a parachute. I've done both, and I, I've done both, and I prefer skydiving. <gasps> That's cool. Where were you when you went skydiving? Skydiving was at uh, I think they called Space something Houston area. It's kind of towards uh, Brazos Bend Park, kind of down that area. Oh, I know exactly that, what you're talking about. Yeah. That, and that's, I tell you what, jumping out of the plane, it, it's something I'd always wanted to do. And I, I had to do it strapped to another, you know, instructor or whatever, because you have to go through X number of jumps before you're certified to do it yourself. That was far easier to jump out of that airplane than it was to do the bungee jump. And here's why. When you're on the bungee jump platform and you're on, in my case, it was on top of a crane and you're on a platform, you can see the ground really well. It's right there. It's not an abstract idea that it's, you know, 10,000 feet below. There it is. That's where my body might be in a moment. 
And <laughs> okay, <laughs> so so jumping out of that was fun. That was something I did back in college at A and M. And there may or may not have been a keg of beer present, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to divulge all the information, Scott. So Scott, let me let me ask you this. So what what generation do you belong to? Uh, I don't know. I lose track. What am I? Z? I think I was born in 1970. So there you go. Whatever that puts me at. Is that X? X, Z, yeah, X, Gen X what? I don't know. I don't know what I am. Yeah. Gen uh, Z, that'd make you pretty young. You'd probably be the most successful attorney at such a young age. Uh, <laughs> the Houser, I, I don't know what I am. So, <laughs> Generation X is, sounds good. I kind of like that actually. Generation X is like Malcolm X. I'm, okay. I'm good, with, <laughs> I'm good with Gen X. And which, which generation would you most identify with? I suppose the one I'm in. Okay. Well, that you, whatever you think. I mean, that's, that's, the answer no, is what do, you want it to do, be. Do I, do I think I, I'm a cowboy in a lawyer's body? No, I don't. <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't long for uh, running around in a suit of armor back in the days of the Knights of the round table or anything like that. You know, I was, was born where I, where I was born and by golly, that's where I suppose the Lord put me. Fantastic. Well, Hey, we appreciate you having on the show today. And before we, we sign off, I would like everyone um, really to hear more about you and if you could give people your contact information. So phone number, email address, and then please spell it out just because this is audio only. So we want to make sure all of our listeners get that information. You bet. You bet. Uh, my office uh, is in Friendswood, Texas, which is where I was born, raised and graduated from high school. I'm located at 907 South Friendswood Drive. Friendswood is spelled F-R-I-E-N-D-S-W-O-O-D. Okay, I'm going to assume everybody knows how to spell the word self. Uh, and oh, zip code 77546. If you want to reach me, uh, I'm available at 281-993-3769. That's 281-993-3769. Call now. <laughs> I love it. You still have a radio voice, Scott. I love it. That is awesome. We are so excited that you joined us today. Thank you again uh, for being part of our show, Scott. Well, I appreciate the invitation. Uh, and uh, hopefully I haven't done anything to uh, uh, make you not want me to ever come back. <laughs> no, actually, I think all the information you gave us is uh, giving us a reason to bring you back. So <laughs> uh, this concludes this week's episode of Bridge the Gap, Connecting Business Perspectives. We will see you next Wednesday. Thank you again for tuning into this week's episode of Bridge the Gap, Connecting Business Perspectives. If there's a certain professional or profession that you want to hear from, leave a comment in this week's Facebook post. Please subscribe and share this podcast. Colton Cocker with Sherman McKinley Group LLC is located at 820 South Friendswood Drive, Suite 207, Friendswood, Texas, 77546, phone number 281-992-5698. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Next Financial Group, Inc. Member FINRA, Pacific. Sherman McKinley Group is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.